your opportunity to listen and learn from the most successful people driving growth and success in Palm Beach County and beyond. Welcome to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principled Wealth Advisors. Carrie and his guests share stories and insights from Palm Beach County's most successful executives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Learn how they made it to where they are today, what principles guide them, how they mentor others to achieve success, and more. Hello, this is Carrie Stamp, and you're listening to the Business in Paradise podcast. On the show today, I've got a guest that is probably the youngest guest that we've had on Business in Paradise. He's been incredibly successful in his short time here in Palm Beach County. I'd love to introduce my listeners to Kyle O'Neill. Kyle is the president of the private client group of an independent national insurance brokerage firm called Starkweather and Shepley. He concentrates most of his activities right here in South Florida, but the operation extends for the entire country. Kyle O'Neill, welcome to the Business in Paradise podcast. Thanks for having me, Carrie. I really appreciate it. Kyle, tell us a little bit about your background. We think of Palm Beach County as paradise, which is why I call the podcast Business in Paradise. So what was your trip down to paradise like? <laughs> That's a great question. So my story started born and raised in New Jersey, a place called Red Bank. I, I played baseball for a school, Division One school called Monmouth University. Upon my graduation, when I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, <laughs> like, like most other college graduates, I decided I wanted to get into the golf business because I thought it would be a great way for me to start meeting people, networking, leverage relationships, and really figure out where I wanted to go with my future and what it is that I want to do. So I got into the golf business, Deal Golf and Country Club, which is based in uh, Deal, New Jersey. The gentleman that I worked for, his name was Jason Lamp. Uh, he gave me that opportunity and uh, I took it and ran with it. The first six months or season, if you will, after I finished, I was ready to get into the insurance business. I'd already decided very, very quickly that that's the business I wanted to be in. So you're at a golf club. Correct. You're working as what, an outside uh, person or an assistant pro or something? Correct. And you say, okay, six months into this, I better go into insurance. There's probably guys coming to the club that are insurance brokers, and you're thinking to yourself, hey, they're on that side of the counter. That's right. And I'm staying in the shop here folding sweaters. That's right. That's exactly it. Okay. <laughs> that was the mindset. I had the same experience, <laughs> but I was 14 years old working at a club in Johnston, Iowa, that most people probably have never heard of, called the Hyperion Field Club. And at two o'clock in the afternoon, the stockbrokers would roll in pretty much at the close of the market. And they'd be on the golf course by 2.30 or 3 o'clock almost every single day. And I'm thinking to myself, that sounds like a really fun job. <laughs> That's right. So I, I did notice that the, the insurance professionals at the club were quite frequently out there. So it was something I wanted to do. So were you raised your entire life in New Jersey up until this point? I was. I was. All right. And you go to Monmouth, which isn't very far away. And I've, I've been to uh, Monmouth County and Long Branch and the race near the racetrack right there. Is It's a very pretty part of the country. And Deal, of course, is uh, a lovely golf club. And there's several really, really nice golf clubs that a lot of people don't even know about in that neighborhood. So do you go into the insurance business in New Jersey first, or do you move to Florida first? Well, I got introduced to the insurance industry in New Jersey. I didn't go into the business in New Jersey. I started my career down here in Palm Beach County. 
That's, okay. that's when I first got into the business. And did you have a job when you moved down here? I was still in the golf business when I moved down here, actively seeking for where I wanted to start my career. Okay. And so what was your first golf job here in Palm Beach County? The Dye Preserve. Really? I was an outside professional, I think they called me. All right. I parked cars and and hoofed bags. <laughs> Again, meeting people. Did whatever the members needed. That's right. And uh, were there to provide phenomenal service. The Dye is a beautiful golf course. All right. So at some point you met somebody that said, hey, Kyle, I'll help you along your way to get into the insurance business. Sure. How did that develop? So I would say there's, there was a few people that helped me along that journey. A couple were up in New Jersey. And, and they really got me interested. They, they took me out to, um, you know, to their offices, their firms, kind of showed me a day in the life, if you will, give me a very high level. But down here in Palm Beach County specifically, Ray Saladinas was the one that gave me my first opportunity. And he's someone who, when I was looking to get into the industry down here, he was the guy and still is the guy. But at the time, that's who I wanted to work for. Well, Kyle, I would say you certainly fell in with a good mentor because in Palm Beach County, uh, Ray Saladinas and his ability to build a fantastic insurance business is legendary. And for our listeners that don't know, the Saladinas Insurance Group a few years ago uh, was sold to a very, very large national organization called Martian McLennan. So at some point, Kyle, you start working for Saladinas. And I would imagine if it's like any other job that you come into and it's a sales organization, you start from the bottom. <laughs> so what was your day like when you first start working at Celadinas? I, I tell this story often, especially for the people now that, that I've brought into the business of work for me. My first day I, I walked in after we had to get, obviously, the mandatory drug tests. So we came, we came back from Quest and we had a legal pad placed in front of us. And we were given a couple of pens and... Ray's executive secretary, Marilyn, at the time, she had told us, write down the names of everyone you know and start dialing. And, and that was my introduction to the business. So were you selling property and casualty personal insurance? Were you selling commercial insurance? Was it whatever you could drum up that was a warm lead? Right. I, I think at that point, and not really you know, being so green in the industry, I was trying to sell myself, right? You know, being Saladinus at the time, and I was there pre and post acquisition. So being Saladinas, we had a, a specialty of focus, if you will, in personal lines, private client business. Coming from New Jersey, I didn't have a network of people down here. So I was targeting people that I knew up in New Jersey, but also targeting centers of influence, wealth advisors. I was reaching out to people on LinkedIn that I saw maybe were golfers or had some kind of connection to New Jersey so they can start developing a network down here. And so you're going out, you're trying to meet people essentially cold. Yes. Uh, maybe a few of them you might have met along the way at a, this club or that club. And I'm sure some of them were more than willing to help you. But for the most part, I think when I started, I got the door slammed in my face far more times than uh, people were waiting there with the uh, cookies and, and, and coffee for me to come into their house. And um, I just heard this funny expression the other day because we do have one advisor here in the office that used to work for national firm called Edward Jones. And Edward Jones has their business practice used to be pre-COVID was that they would go around to people's houses in the neighborhood and knock on the doors and introduce himself. And I was the article that I was reading talked, the guy was talking about what he called being porched. So being porched in uh, their lingo means that he went up to the front porch, 
the lights on the porch might have been on, and the people in the house turned the lights <laughs> off, so he had to go away. I mean, this was, uh, in, in many ways, it was a lot like what sales in the early days were like for me. It sounds like you went through some of the same thing. I did. I did. You know, obviously, Ray was was very intelligent about those he had hired. And a lot of the new associates or producers that came on board with me, you know, they had deep networks within the community. So they were strategic hires. You know, we both knew the same about the industry, which was nothing. We were both green or we were all green. But at the same token, I think for, for me personally, not having that network work to my advantage. It gave me, it forced me to develop a set of skills as it's referred to not having any call reluctancy, if you will, and really pound the pavement. And so to me, it was a blessing in disguise. Although I think it could have been looked at as potentially I was maybe starting a step behind. I looked at it as an advantage and opportunity to get better and develop myself as a professional. Did you ever have any formal sales training or training in marketing yourself or is this something that you were self-taught self-taught <laughs> believe it or not self-taught um so, i've had a lot of great people around me put it that way and i i'm not afraid to ask questions so you start selling mm -hmm. do you remember your first sale i remember my first sale what was that like <laughs> i don't know if i could say his name it was someone i knew and he would put it this way he was on that legal pad and he wanted to he wanted to help me succeed. He knew me as a human, as a person. Um, he believed in me, he respected me, and he wanted to give me the opportunity. So as soon as I, I got that sale closed, I tasted you know, success. And then the floodgates opened, and I just wanted more and more. It seems like once you get a little bit of a break, they start to come a lot more rapidly. Absolutely. And through practice, you learn what to do and what not to do so that you don't necessarily make the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, because you make a lot of mistakes in the beginning and you're hopeful that people will bear with you through that process. Was there any point where you said to yourself, geez, I've made a major breakthrough. I'm sure you were in a training class. You had these other rookies around you and you said, this was my big moment. This was kind of my breakthrough moment. Yeah, I, I would say it was, it was about two years after I had started. And for the most part, whenever I go out to a meeting, I would have, you know, an experienced associate with me to help me with, you know, some contractual language and things that come with experience and education in the industry. About two years after I started, I made my first presentation to a board of directors and I did very well. And we wound up getting the business and I ran the presentation and the associate that I brought really just sat back. And, and to me, that was the breakthrough. That was, I think I, I'm starting to get this. I, I can do this. That's awesome. So one of the things that I've done in this business is that I've tried to mentor younger financial advisors so that they can learn the business, develop their careers, and also be in the role that you just described. As the mentor, if I'm in a meeting with them, sometimes it's hard to keep my mouth shut, but I know that I have to let them learn on their own and and also to say things in the way that they would say them, because the way that I say them, even though I know it's right, may not be exactly how they want to convey the same information. And I was being facetious when I said uh, uh, that's, that's what I know is right. It's right for me, may not be right for them. So you're starting out, you're selling insurance. At the point where you get into the business, do you have a family? I do not. Okay. Um, I had a a girlfriend who became a fiance than my wife. Okay. Um, but when I started, I was, uh, I, I had a girlfriend. 
okay. who's now my wife. But no, not a family. So were you on a salary or was it a situation where you've just got to bring in business and if you bring in business, you can pay the rent that month? It was called a click down. So the, the salary got cut by a third for the first three years. So that year four, you were <laughs> you were only eating what you killed, so to speak. Okay. Um, and there was no, there's no more company dollars coming in. It was the business that you brought in. That's what your livelihood was. All right. Um, so, so were you there for four years in the first role? I was there for three and a half years. So I had been at a point where it was taken away. You developed a lot of your business. You're there for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. At that point, did you get married while you were at the I did. Dennis? I did. Okay. Yes. And so you get married. Mm-hmm. You've got now a, a wife that you have to at least co-support. Absolutely. Right. And now you've got some kids. Tell us about these kids. <laughs> yeah. So, so my daughter, who is almost three and a half now, her name's Olivia. She was she was my firstborn. Um, she's the the apple of my eye, so to speak. Um, <laughs> she's uh, put it this way: she looks like me, but she has the personality of my wife, and I wouldn't have it any other way because my wife is is the kind of person that will walk into a room without seeing anything and just command attention. She's the the life of the party, so to speak. And I'm a very lucky man to be with her. She makes me better from a professional standpoint as well. She's an incredible realtor for Illustrated Properties. So that's my daughter. My son, who was recently born, he's about five months old. His name is Miles. It's M-Y-L-E-S. He is, (laughs) we're very lucky because we have two healthy kids, but he's a smiler. He's a big smiler. So he actually looks like my wife, but acts like me. (laughs) <laughs> so it's we have some introvert on on both on both children. It's pretty interesting. Uh, very lucky though. Absolutely. So what's your wife's name, Kyle? Stephanie. All right. So is she go by O'Neill? She does. She's Stephanie O'Neill at Illustrated Properties. Correct. We we'll give Stephanie a shout out, and she works primarily in what area? Northern Palm Beach County. Okay. And Stephanie, is this a career that she's had for a long time? Yes, she's been in the business for. She's thirty four. We don't have to, we can edit that out if uh, she doesn't want people to know her age. Yeah. Um, she's been in the business since she was 22. Wow. Yeah. So she's, and, and my father-in-law, who's one of the most instrumental figures in my life from a professional and personal standpoint, he's a, a real estate attorney. I would say mostly retired at this point, only handling certain clients, but um, a wealth of knowledge. And there, Stephanie's a third generation Palm Beach County resident. So she grew up down here. She did. She went to school. Where'd she go to high school? Dreyfus of the Arts. She went to oh, School of the Arts. What was her uh, artistic background? Singing. All right. Does she yeah. still sing? <laughs> she does. She does. She sings at home, put it that way. Okay. <laughs> she, has, she has a pretty incredible voice. So she went to Dreyfus. You said you went to Monmouth. Where did Stephanie go to school? She went to Lynn University. All right. Right in Boca. Yeah. All right. So you now have kind of a built-in network, mm-hmm. at least from some of the people that she's known. That's right. Uh, some of the people that her family has known down here over the years, and I'm sure that was helpful. But now we've got two professionals uh, where if Stephanie doesn't sell houses, she doesn't get paid. That's right. If you don't sell insurance, you probably don't get paid very much. Right. So that's got to uh, be some pressure at times, I would imagine. Have you ever... Do you recall a point in your professional career, because I recall one very vividly, when you kind of thought your back was against the wall, that um, maybe it was going to be a hard time to pay the bills that particular month, and or you were waiting on a big commission to come in so that you could take care of some things? I remember these days very vividly. I, I certainly do. And, and my 
my story or my my reference to your question actually comes in the form of when I left Marsh about a week after I resigned. And I'll never forget, it was August 31st of 2017, uh, one week after my wife and I had found out that we were having our first child and Olivia was on her way. So I had just left to start my own company from scratch with no investors, a two-year non-solicitation agreement. And here I had, you know, eight months to, uh, to get something up and running. So talk about back being up against the wall or, you know, fire underneath you. That was about as, as severe as it got. So was there some stress there? Absolutely. Right. But at the same token, looking back at it, I think I was much crazier than I thought I was at that time. My head was high, my chin was up and, and I was optimistic for the future. Yeah. I remember back, I started my firm in 2002 and the stock market had gone into a bit of a tailspin, essentially starting in 2000 around the Y2K scare. And it continued. The tech stocks and the internet bubble kind of burst. And by 2002, things were pretty in a pretty bad place. But I also felt, looking back, that it might have been a good time to get started because there weren't a lot of distractions. I knew exactly what I needed to do. I left a role with a big company to go out on my own. And I was way undercapitalized. I thought I was in a great place. But as it turned out, I hadn't put enough money in the bank. I hadn't done plan for all of the contingencies that could go wrong because they all went wrong, uh, at least in the short term. And some ones that I hadn't even thought of went wrong. But eventually, we uh, figured out what we needed to do and we got it. the ship turned around. Sounds like you did the same thing. You said you started your own company. Correct. So tell us about how that came to be and how long did you have your own business? So was, it, was it called O'Neill? O'Neill and Company Insurance Group. Yes. Okay. So I launched it in, in September of 2017, you know, shortly after the resignation from, from Marsh. Really, my... <laughs> I started again by myself, right? So no clients, no carrier appointments, which was also fun because that's kind of the, the trick to my to my industry. Explain to our listeners what that means because I know what it means, but most people probably don't. Absolutely. So having carrier appointments means the ability to provide insurance companies or carriers to your clients as a broker. So doing due diligence and going out to quote unquote the marketplace, you know, whether it's a travelers or Chubb or AIG, unless you're appointed with these carriers, um, you cannot offer their products, whether it's homeowners, auto, so on and so forth. So that's kind of the the crux of, of what carrier appointments mean. And how do you get a carrier appointment? Can't you just call up Chubb and say, hey, I wanna sell Chubb insurance. My name's Kyle, I sell insurance. I certainly tried. But I found out that's not how it works. So what I wound up doing was I had a, built a relationship through actually a, a former employee at Celadinus. Um, his name was Kevin Madden, who's an executive over at Amwins. And Amwins is a wholesaler, okay? So what they do is they represent these carriers and provide carrier appointments to agencies that maybe aren't big enough, don't have enough experience to get direct appointments. So what was unique about Amwins at this time, who's based right, in, uh, right off PJ Boulevard, is that they had acquired something called the Private Client Insurance Group, which was the ability to access as a wholesaler, AIG, Chubb, and a company called Vault. So starting my business, I knew that I had to focus on something very, very niche, uh, which was high net worth individuals and families for their personal lines insurance, so private client insurance. 
and I needed to have access to those carriers. So I arranged a meeting with, with Kevin, um, and he gave me an opportunity. And, and so I took it and ran with it and started writing a lot of business with Amwins. So from there, you're building your own business. Correct. Did you hire somebody? Did nope. you have your first hire? You're just out there selling insurance on your own. Yeah, I, w- I was doing everything, right? You're doing the paperwork, mm-hmm. your, every single thing. I was doing everything. I was putting together the binders after you know we had um, we'd finalized the client, put together these nice little leather binders by myself, printing out ID cards and laminating them to mail them out to you know to our clients. Soup to nuts, everything. And I'll tell you what, again, was it easy? Absolutely not. But it taught me every facet of the business because I was able to make those mistakes so that as we grew and added employees, you know, people under me, if you will, I was able to teach and, and really relate to the roles that I wanted to, uh, you know, to really fill and how I wanted them to be accomplished. And at some point, O'Neill transitions to Starkweather and Shepley. Correct. How did that come about? That came about, an article was published in the insurance journal. Actually, I cold called this gentleman. His name was Barry Seegerman out of New York. Another shout out. So Barry was probably the most instrumental figure in my career, uh, professionally speaking. We haven't met more than three or four times. We spoke on the phone maybe half a dozen times. I cold called him because I was Googling and this was, you know, first couple of weeks, I was Googling insurance agencies starting, you know, starting from zero, starting from scratch. And his name kept coming up. So I read his story. It was eerily similar to what I was going through. And he had sold his firm to a very large bank up in New York for, for a lot of money and was very successful. So I figured I, somehow I found his phone number. I called him and I was being in sales and cold calls, right? I was expecting to leave a message, right? Because this this guy who's worth you know tens of millions of dollars is on this. He's a he's on the board for this large bank in New York. He's not going to pick up some phone call he doesn't recognize. He picks up on like the second ring. Some I was like, uh, I was a little, <laughs> I was a little jaded by that. But I introduced myself and I said, listen, I'm, I read your story. I, I've read about you. I'm looking for advice and and if you could help guide me and, and provide some guidance that would be fantastic so about an hour later when we got off the phone he told me that he was a now a publisher for the national underwriter magazine he did it for you know for fun he wanted to write a story about my story and and publish it in the in the national underwriter so i said absolutely so he actually flew down to my office which by the way i know listeners can't see this office but it's about half the size of this office my my first office when i started didn't have a window so he came down and sat down with me in the office and and we chatted for about two hours and he uh he flew back up and gave me one last look or you know kind of gave me the summary of the article and um and released it and the one thing i had asked him more than anything was to make sure that he gave the the kudos and the respect to saladinas and marsh that i wanted because i felt it was you know what what it deserved i was very fortunate to have worked for not only you know ray as we discussed earlier but marsh who is the largest global insurance broker in the world so both of those together i had a great foundation and, and things to learn from so fast forward the article was released got a lot of notoriety that's fantastic and the fact that that came from you picking up the telephone and calling somebody that looked interesting to you is got to be inspirational for a lot of new salespeople. If if you were talking to a new entrepreneur or somebody just like you at that time who wanted to set up an insurance brokerage today from scratch, just mm-hmm. like you did, what are some pieces of advice? What do you think the best advice you could give them would be? 
align yourself with the right people. I know that's a very, very you know, vague statement in general, but that is critical. Without the right people who are looking out for your best interests as an owner, as a professional, as an entrepreneur, it's going to be very difficult to succeed. I know it takes a village, even if it's like in my case, I was by myself, but it still took a village. And there was people behind the scenes, whether it was my father-in-law, whether it were you know, clients that came on board to give me a chance and then really bought into me. And it was their mission now to go out and help me build my business or find talent or whatever it may have been. Um, I would say surround yourself around the best possible people you can. Kyle, when you started your business, did you write down a business plan of any kind or write it out? What did that look like? I did. I, um, I wrote down a, so I wrote down a three, five, and ten-year business plan. And I, I, funny enough, I actually often refer back to the ten-year business plan and, and make edits. That's kind of my my master business plan that I still use to this day. So how far are we into that? So we are four years. Four years into the ten-year plan. We are okay. And have you built? Uh, are you in the process, or have you built a team? of other salespeople or brokers or agents, whatever we call them in the yes. insurance uh, business that is underneath you, that you're helping them to grow their business as well? Correct, yes, there's there's 12 people in that I operate. And once you get to that point, and you're essentially now not only responsible for your family and mm-hmm. your kids, but also these other right. people in the firm, in cases your role shifts, you're not just the salesperson that you started out being. How do I deal with human resource issues? How do I deal with accounting? How do I deal with the computer systems? And in my experience, one of the smartest things that I did many years ago when I'm about your age was I hired someone that I could bounce ideas off of that I could have a monthly phone call with and sometimes it was twice a month and just say, here are the challenges that I've got in my life. And it was somebody that was talking to financial advisors every single day. So Mastermind Group was uh, also something that uh, was incredibly useful uh, for me as well. Have you found yourself uh, drawn to that type of group yet in your career? Okay, so I'm part of um, an association or organization called uh, CPRIA, Chartered Private Risk Insurance Advisors. I'm actually currently in the process of taking my ACPRIA course. You know, I think this is more targeted. we're part of an Exurex Global uh, partner, and and so I'm fortunate that you know I'm able to participate in the private client sector of the Exurex, uh, you know, forums, if you will, on a monthly basis. So it's being around people that have gone through what you're going through, uh, so that you can uh, get feedback and guidance from outside opinions. Uh, people that can look at you objectively and say, have you thought about this this way? In fact, I just had lunch with one of my mentors. Uh, He's been on the podcast before. States Hines runs the local Vistage chapter. And I was talking about an issue that I had with States. And he said, have you ever considered it this way? And I said, no, I really haven't. But I understood it instinctively that he was right. I had gotten on my I guess my high horse and thinking that everything had to be done a certain way. And there was a person in the organization that wanted to do things a little bit differently. And his way might have been right, but it wasn't necessarily my way. I think I might have mentioned this earlier on the podcast that I kind of like to be right. Give a shout out to my wife uh, there who uh, has often mentioned that I like to be right. So thank you, Sharon. All right, Kyle. Let's go back to uh, something that I started the podcast with, which is a fact that I think that we get to live in paradise, 
This is an amazing place, and we're living here at an incredible time in Palm Beach County. The growth is off the charts. There's new houses being built like crazy. There's new businesses coming here like crazy. People are all over. The amount of business that you or I could do is essentially unlimited. So you chose to move here. Mm -hmm. I would imagine part of that was for uh, the golf. Yes. But uh, what do you like about living here in uh, Palm Beach County or Martin County, Palm Beach County? I I feel living here, I feel a part of um, a thriving economic county, really. I feel that we are, you know, it's unlike being in New York that's obviously already, it's already a staple, right? Everything's already established there. Not that Palm Beach County isn't, but it's thriving. It's emerging. It continues to grow. You look down PGA Boulevard. I've only lived here for seven years. You look down PGA Boulevard, now it looks like a metropolis. It's incredible to see the growth, to see the emergence of young professionals that are moving down here, and mo- most importantly, relocating down here You know, from very large firms. You know, from a professional standpoint, that to me is what's so exciting. From a personal standpoint, there's nothing that beats you know a little little vitamin <laughs> vitamin D every day, right? So growing up in New Jersey, give it about two months from now, it gets dark at four o'clock, skies are gray, the mood's a little bit different. It's it's hard not to walk outside when you live down here and not smile just because it's it's sunny. Yeah, it's, it might be raining, especially in the summer, but the overall culture and style of life in my opinion, is something that is beneficial to everyone that likes to be happy. (laughs) When we left Chicago, uh, it was because we came down here and we were leaving to go back to the airport, leaving from the breakers in the middle of November to go back to the airport. And we knew it was going to be cold when we got back to Chicago and that it was going to get dark at 430 in the afternoon very soon and to be down here where it was uh, lovely all evening in in january you could go outside and you could do things to me was really really incredible so you're you're down here you're enjoying the lifestyle you're still mm-hmm. playing golf yes tell me about your hobbies aside from golf or tell me about golf what are your hobbies so my, my latest hobby i guess of the last three years is, is family time I work a lot. I work hard, but I need to, and thankfully I have an incredible partner in life, my wife, Stephanie, who keeps me grounded. So when I'm going off the rails and I'm working 16 hour days, she pulls me back. And the one thing that I would do more than anything else would be spending time with my family. I've heard it from too many people that say, enjoy it. It goes fast. Enjoy it. It goes fast. I'm sure you can allude to it. So I'm trying to, you know, that's difficult to keep that balance of trying to grow a a thriving, successful business as well as make sure that we're spending enough time and enjoying the time that we have with our families. So that's hobby number one. Obviously golf, we've played a couple of rounds together. I love golf, passion, without a doubt. I'm a big drummer. I've been drumming since I was two years old. (laughs) I have a picture of it, I have proof. So I I have a a drum set. Actually, my father-in-law is a a very big collector. He collects uh, artifacts and memorabilia, whether it be sports or presidential documents. And he actually bought a warehouse because he has so much of it. (laughs) So it's like his little museum. So we, we made it one of the rooms in the warehouse, a music room, so I could put my drums in there. So um, whenever I need to blow off some steam, I, I try to drive over there and, and uh, bang the drums a little bit. Kyle, we're going to put you in the band. So, <laughs> so we have a lead singer that also went to Dreyfus. Okay? Yes, that's right. Not not just your wife. Oh, wow. I have a lead singer here. Fantastic. Uh, Matt Malusi, who just joined the team, who Fantastic. is a uh, singer from uh, Dreyfus. So now we have male and female vocalists. We have Rob Taylor on guitar. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Noah Tennyson from 
the uh, Nason Yeager Law Firm sometimes plays guitar with us. Uh, Shay Diaz, our other assistant, is also a fantastic vocalist. Wow. Dan Roth is a uh, drummer, and I think I'm missing somebody else that uh, probably also plays guitar. So uh, <laughs> we we need to put a band together because yeah. I think this could be a very fun show. <laughs> you don't want me anywhere near uh, doing any of the music. I'll do the promotion. <laughs> there All you right. Go. So that's great to know. So drumming, golf, and spending time with the family. Yeah. Which is one thing I was going to ask, and you kind of already covered it, and that's maintaining uh, a good work-life balance. Right. Because once you get into this business, and your business is going extraordinarily well, it's so easy to get absorbed into just making sure that you get the next deal and the next deal and the Mm -hmm. next deal, because you don't want to turn anything away. You don't want to let anything slip through the cracks. But... I think you very clearly identified where your priorities uh, need to be. So I congratulate you on that at this age that uh, you've already gotten to that point. Kyle, what's next? Uh, you've built this private client group. You're with this um, Starkweather and Chapley. Tell mm-hmm. us about Starkweather and Chapley for a second. Yeah. And then tell us what's next for Kyle O'Neill. So, so what's what's really unique and what, what drew me to Starkweather um, when we initially made the uh, made the agreement to, uh, to merge and to partner uh, July 16th of 2018 was that they are, they're actually held in trust. So I went through the experience of going through a, a merger, if you will, or an acquisition. Um, I saw some, some positives, obviously, and, and also some disruption from it. And one thing I wanted to do if, if I was going to partner with someone was make sure that I could control my own destiny, meaning that no unexpected surprises as far as acquisitions. So to me, that was, it was you know, critical that that was part of, the, of my decision-making process. Um, so 143 years old, one of the oldest independent agencies in the country, and um, just under 300 employees total. Um, and um, it's been a culmination of 16 months of very hard work and preparation, business plans, um, prospectuses, et cetera, that, that I've put together with the board of directors. Will they have other people in your role around the country? Or is everything going to be run from here in Florida? Yeah, everything's so everything's going to be run by you know headed up by me um, here in Florida. We've hired a couple of associates up in Newport area, a um, couple in, in Massachusetts to be part of the private client team. And you're saying Newport, Rhode Island? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. And that's that's where so the firm Starkweather is based out of uh, Providence, Rhode Island. So, you know, I guess what we've learned last year, right, with COVID is that remote work or, or where you are, it can be done and it can be it could be managed um, and efficient as well. But I just came back from Newport, actually. So I'm certainly going to take advantage of, of getting up there, especially this time of year and, and showing face. because I think that's also a critical component of of growth. So your next gig is to continue to grow this organization, build up the private client group. Correct. That's your focus. That's fantastic. So Kyle, listen, I I really enjoyed having you today as my guest on the Business in Paradise podcast. It's been an honor and a privilege to get to know you. You're the, like I said in the beginning, you're the youngest person we've ever had on the podcast, but you've done a fantastic job of building a presence for yourself, for your family, and uh, definitely a great reputation down here in South Florida in the insurance business. I can't thank you enough. Kyle, I look forward to uh, watching you continue to grow, playing some more golf, and uh, continuing our friendship. Kyle O'Neill, thank you. Thanks for having me, Carrie. You've been listening to the Business in Paradise podcast. I'm Carrie Stamp with Carrie Stamp and Company. Thank you for listening. 
Thank you for listening to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principal Wealth Advisors. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Commonwealth Financial Network. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Carrie Stamp and Company is located at 110 Bridge Road, Dequesta, Florida, 33469. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Thank you.